0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please have a seat, and uh, we have come to the end, my friends. This is the last of our 10-week series in which we have spent these last number of months in just a few verses in Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, a list of Attributes of God that are being born in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we, when we become Christians, when we come to know Christ, the Spirit is at work bearing these things in us that he calls fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is the last one. I can hear the collective inward groaning before we begin because we're all tired of self-control before we even start trying to talk about it. We're, 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 that concludes the sermon for today. I mean, the, we're tired because it feels like that Christ has defeated death by the cross and an empty tomb, and we are defeated by a bowl of ice cream and a spoon. Right, because we oftentimes think of, we think of self-control as, as uh, as oftentimes having to do with, with our physical bodies in some way or our 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 weight or our exercise or things that we know that we should do but we just don't really want and we have to have self-control. And this is exactly why this fruit is listed last because don't we immediately start to depend on our own flesh and our own abilities when we explore what a righteous and holy life looks like? We hear this list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, and self-control, and we start to think, ah, these are things that i got to start doing more, and i got to somehow achieve them, and I've got to somehow, I've got to somehow restrict myself, and, I've got, and I know it's just more stuff to put on the list. It's like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the gym in self-control, right? It's sort of a, it's a list of things that we think that we just have to have behavior modification for. And let me say this, these are fruits of the spirit, not, pow- not fruits of the power of self, right? It's, these are The whole list has been about things that God is doing within us. And so why would the last one be, now take all of this upon yourself to do it through your own strength? Self-control is different than willpower in this context. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. We're going to start right back from the beginning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles with you, come with me there, um, or open your phone or whatever else it is. We're going to spend a lot of time in this passage today. So it says this in verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This verse is really a summary of the whole book of Galatians. He has repeatedly warned, encouraged, exhorted the the people of Galatia to not live in fear of the holy law of God. To not feel like... Every sin is a condemnation, every misstep that God is, uh, is bearing his wrath down upon them, but that Christ has set them free from the tyranny of the holiness of the law that they could never live up to by, the, by his grace and his victory for us. That our God is not a God of shame. He is a God of mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. So remember, the Galatians are being led astray. Paul went in and preached this gospel of grace, and then then after him followed this group of folks called the Judaizers who were saying, yeah, yeah, we need this Jesus thing, that's good. But we also need to keep the Old Testament law. They wouldn't have said Old Testament. That's that's just easy for us to remember. The Jewish law, the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the 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 as it's outlined in the first five books of the Bible. That that we need Jesus, and we need to follow all of this. In a particular import um, was was the issue of circumcision because that is laid out as the mark of the covenant. How do you know if you're a part of the people of God? The Old Testament, the covenant mark is circumcision. And so the Judaizers were saying, yes, Jesus, and yes, circumcision. You need to have both. So Paul says this in verse two. You can hear his agitation if you really listen to these words. He says, look, colon, (laughs) Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Those are big words. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And then he actually makes a circumcision reference. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. These are strong words, because what he's saying here is, and he's, he's about to say this, look, it's not about circumcision in itself. It's about, do you believe that, the, that salvation, which means wholeness, um, which, means, which means saving, that that comes from your own merit and your own ability or by the grace of Jesus? That's what's at stake here is what he's saying. This is why it's not not the act of circumcision as being magical. In just a minute, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what he's saying is, where's your heart? Do you believe that God has saved you, or do you believe that God has given you guidance about how you can save yourself? And he's saying, if you... If you believe the latter, if you believe that God has given you guidance about how you can be a good person and earn the favor of God, he's saying this, if you you accept circumcision that's part of the law, that you are obligated to keep the whole law. If you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Because he's saying, you don't just get to keep parts of it. So look, in the Bible, there's not good people and bad people. There's perfect people and imperfect people. There's righteous and unrighteous. And so he's saying, if you think that by your own merit, you're going to earn the favor of God, then what you have to achieve is perfection, not good enough perfection, or you live by grace. That this is the point of the incarnation, that no person, because of the twisted sinful flesh that we live in, is able to earn the merit of God through perfection. The only one who could do that is God himself. So God himself became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, who lived in obedience to God, who never once sinned, and yet paid the penalty of sin for us. This is why Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. This is why his name is worthy to be praised and that we pour out our hearts and our adoration to him and that we willingly give our lives to follow him because there is no one else like Jesus. Right? It's, it all comes down to this, the person of Jesus, and that, that through faith in Jesus, we are crucified with him. We die and are raised. That's why the mark of the covenant is not circumcision anymore that traces our generations back to Abraham, but rather the new birth that comes in the death and resurrection of Christ that we see in baptism. That's the sign of the new covenant. So what he's saying here is in verse one, when he says that, uh, that for freedom, Christ has set us free, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying we have been set free from the condemnation of the law by the death and resurrection of Christ, through whom we have been washed clean and reborn, and he is recreating his image in us. So don't submit again to a law of condemnation in a life of shame. He even says in verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So by the Spirit and by faith, the Spirit is bringing about righteousness within us. Okay, so, so the, the caveat here that, that we've tried to make over the course of the last 10 weeks and that Paul keeps coming back to here is this finesse of saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The law with its tyranny of holiness is, has been canceled. So you're not, you are not condemned. But at the same time, the moral character of God has not gone away. So he says, it's not that Christ has come to say that sin is no longer sin. That's not what he's saying. Um, He's saying that our sin is forgiven. And so he goes on to say, you were called, this is verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So we haven't been given grace so that sin is no longer sin. He's, he's not saying now everything is permissible, but he's saying that we have freedom from the bondage of sin so that we may now walk with Jesus. Here's how he says it in Romans chapter six. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, this is great, wonderful, fleshy, twisted logic, right? Where he goes, okay, okay, okay. So what you're saying is the more that I sin, the more we realize how big Jesus's grace is because it's bigger than my sin. So by that logic, if I sin more, God's grace is shown more. He gets more glory. There's more grace. I get to sin more. It's win-win, right? I mean, this is a really good way that I love this gospel, right? And Paul's going, no, no. By all means, no, he says in Romans 6. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's saying, he's saying, no, what has happened to you is not just a legal transaction that has given you free entrance into heaven by the grace of Jesus. Something spiritual has happened, something ontological, something about your very inner self and being in existence has changed. When we come by faith, the Christ, and, and by faith repent and believe and are baptized, something happens within us where we die with Christ and we are, rise again to be able to live in what Paul says, to walk in newness of life. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free free from the bondage of sin that leads to this destruction of you and hurting others and God's creation and stealing God's glory and and leads to unhealth and tearing, you have been set free from that so that you may live a new life in Christ that looks something like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So he, he goes on to say in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what he's laying out here in Galatians 5 is this war, this battle that is going on. Because even though we have been saved by Christ, if we have come to a place of repentance, belief, and baptism, we have been saved and his spirit dwells within us there is still a process happening in us as well, because we, are, we still have our flesh. And, and there's this battle, really, between the two. Uh, there's a war between the way that Paul lays this out as the flesh and the spirit. We have been forgiven, but we are being made holy. In, And these two things come against each other. In verse 17, he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, so let's put this all all together. The Old Testament law gives us a picture of holiness and righteousness. We are not able to live into that law in perfection. And so Jesus came to set us free from the condemnation of the law But for those who would repent, believe, and be baptized, he bestows grace. He uh, gives us the spirit that is working within us to create that righteousness. And now the fruit of the spirit is being born. And yet the works of the flesh are still warring within us, the desires of the flesh. So now we bring into this equation self-control. If all of this, as we said at the beginning, if all of this. Is about the power of God at work in us because we have not been able to do this on our own. We have not been able to achieve righteousness and holiness on our own. Why now, when there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh in ourselves, do we think that we can solve that problem by our own strength? Our own strength is what got us into this mess, right? I mean, this is Paul. You can just hear him. He must have slapped his head all the time. Like in Romans, you know, he's going, by all means, no. In Galatians, he's going, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Right? He's, he's just constantly going, no, 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 stop it. It's about grace. It's about grace. It's about Jesus. And so how does, how does Jesus play into what we're talking about here in self-control? Because the thing is, is that our flesh always looks for a self-salvation a self-created salvation. And so that can fall into two camps, right? It can either fall into a license. And so that means, hey, Jesus, it's just all about love, man. And as long as you love everything, that's what Jesus was about was love. And so if, as long as we call everything love, then it's all love. And we can do whatever we want. There, there's no limits to license. Or the other side is a legalism. Uh, that says we have to do a particular fundamentalist way of seeing and being and rules for life, and if we don't follow all of those, then we are under condemnation, both of which are wrong. Both of which are are improper, and he is saying it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, Not, not to engage in sin that actually enslaves you in a different way, or in legalism that enslaves you to a self-righteousness, neither one, there's a true freedom that is found in the person of Christ. So what does he mean then with uh, with self-control if it's not, hey, stop doing that and start doing that? What does he mean? This war between the spirit and the flesh, hear this, listen to this, this is an important point. This war between the spirit and flesh is not first about our behavior. It's about our motivations that lead to the behavior. Willpower is about behavior management. The fruit of the Spirit and self-control is about changing the desires that lead us to want to do those actions to begin with. We have to ask ourselves not just what do we do wrong, but why do we do wrong? What is our motivation for the things that we do? And this is what the Spirit is addressing, our hearts, the source of our affections and love, and therefore the source of our behavior. This is the point of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is like, okay, so you've heard it said, do not murder. Well, I tell you, if you you, you speak to your brother angrily, you've already committed murder in your heart. And he's not just saying, you know, kind of like an allegory. No, he's saying you have already sinned just as significantly in your heart when you are angry uh, against your brother and speak against him in that way as if you had physically killed him. You have sinned against him and God in that way. Like he's raising the bar of what holiness looks like. Right? So it's not good enough to just go, well, I didn't kill him. He's like, yeah, but you thought about it. Right? Your heart, your heart still wanted to and if there weren't repercussions for that, would you have? Right? He's trying to say there's a, there's a bigger issue at stake here than just not killing. It's what's going on in your heart. He says, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. Right? He's, he is raising the standard to be able to say the problem is not just our behavior. Yes, our behaviors are problems, but it's what's going on in our hearts that needs to truly be fixed. So clearly Jesus is not saying, right, legalism and license. Clearly he's not saying, well, look, you've already experienced that in your heart. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? Like clearly he's not going angry at somebody, kill him. I mean, you've already sinned. Why not just take it all away? Lusting after somebody, sleep with them. It's fine. It's what you desire. It's what you want. You've already done it in your heart. Who cares? Of course he's not saying that. So the behavior matters, but he's like, behavior follows the affections of our hearts. So if we can change the affections of our hearts, then we can get the behaviors in line. So here's an example, right? If you look at the list of, uh, of well, right before he gets to the list of the fruits of the spirit, he says this, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the solution here is the Spirit, not willpower. The solution is the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But the Spirit can change our hearts. And when he lists the fruit of the Spirit that is being born in us, and he goes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then he says, the end of verse 22, Against such things, there is no law. What does that mean? He's saying, because you don't need an external law to tell you not to do bad things if your heart is changed to not want to do the bad things to begin with. Here's an example. I hate kimchi. Have you ever had kimchi? It is like, it is it is fermented cabbage. Cabbage is on the verge of not edible anyway. Um, but then... <laughs> When you put it under a rock and ferment it for a long it stinks up your house and yourself and it comes out of your pores like it is not there's no there's nothing redeemable about kimchi. I do not need a law to tell me not to eat it. Because there's no part of me that wants to. Right? It would be it would be it would be redundant for there to be a law that says Dan cannot eat kimchi. Because Dan does not want to eat kimchi anyway, and we're not even tempted by this. And so the idea is: what if we could take that from something of uh, resisting appropriately, something revolting like fermented cabbage, and uh, and move that to more significant things like murder and adultery? We don't need an external law if our hearts are so changed that we don't even desire those things to begin with. That's the work of the Spirit within us. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law because it is God who is changing our hearts. And he actually prophesied this in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what he's, so he goes on to, to help explain this a little bit more. He says this in verse 24, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's strong language, crucified the flesh. I mean, of course, that's a reference to Jesus, right? Crucified the flesh. Uh, if you belong to Jesus, your flesh has been crucified with its passions and desires. And the Greek word here that's for desires is actually emphatic, and it means over-desires. It's an overdeveloped desire for things. So, so the Bible oftentimes refers to these things as idols. Okay, and so when you think of idols, don't think about a, like a tiki mask or a statue that you bow down to. It's anything that is a functional God, a functional Savior, meaning something that we look to other than God that will bring about wholeness and salvation and fulfillment apart from God and Jesus. Whatever we think will bring us ultimately will meet the desires and effects. Affection of our hearts. We give our love to that, and then we therefore pursue it. Sex, money, power, beauty, achievement, the admiration of others, popularity when you're in school, control, dominance, whatever else it is, sports achievement, whatever we think will provide what we want, gets our affection, and then our behaviors get in line to serve it. John Calvin said it this way: The heart is a factory of idols. He called it a perpetual idol factory. It's like a, like a conveyor belt full of idols popping out of our hearts all the time. And he says, the heart conceives it, and then the hand gives it birth. Right. So, so it's what's going on in our heart that, that affects our behavior. And so then this is why Paul says in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. He calls them works, sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. They are they're a disordered affection within us that says these things, we want and long for these things because they, we have faith in them that they will fulfill what, our salvation. And so if you have an anger problem, it's not just about anger management. It's about cleansing your soul. It's about changing your heart. If you have a drinking problem in addiction, it's not just a chemical problem. It is, it is an idol problem that says, this gives me comfort. This fulfills me. If I can lash out at somebody and then I can, then I can prove my control. That's a heart problem. That's an idol of control and wrath. That the control and wrath doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And when you try to take it yourself, you misuse it, and you cause damage. So if you want to not have anger problems, if you want to not have drinking problems, if you want to not have adultery issues and sexuality issues, this is a, this is a, this is a heart condition before it's just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to I'm not going to look at things I shouldn't look at. I'm not going to. That never works because we're not strong enough. It's the desires of our heart that needs to be changed. It's the idols that need to be removed. Tim Keller says it this way, crucifying the sinful nature is the identification and dismantling of idols. Put an end to the ruling and attractive power that idols have in our lives and so destroy their ability to agitate and inflame our thoughts and desires. So when we start to love God more than we love the idols in our lives and we tear down those idols, That's when true change is is able to take place in our lives. It's about our affection and our devotion. This is where self-control is possible. It's ultimately about realigning our, our affections. So it's not about willpower to stop behavior. It's about changing our hearts to no longer desire those things in the first place. It's about loving God first. And friends, this is what the whole Bible is about. Is what everything is about. Every sermon that we preach from up here is somehow a repackaged form of this that God is ultimate, that God is worthy, that God is righteous, that God is pure, that God is lovely, that God is beautiful, that God is the end all and be all, the alpha and the omega of all things, and what this broken world needs is a return to God, uh, and that can happen through Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ allows us to do is sets us free from the bondage of sin, and what does he set us free for? To worship God, to give our love and adoration and our affection to him, and when our adoration is centered on him, then our behaviors start to line up behind the thing that we so dearly love. Until one day he returns to make all things new. He he cleanses all hearts. That's what the whole Bible is about. That's the whole thing. And no part of it is self-control. So God's doing all this stuff now. You stay by your own power on the straight and narrow. It's about giving our hearts over to God. This can't come. This kind of of affection change can't come through external laws, laws. It comes through a change of heart by the Holy Spirit. You can't make somebody love you. You can't legislate love. It begins with understanding the worthiness and the beauty of God and the love that God has had for you. That's where we start to know the love that we should have for Him. And so, as we have said many times over the course of these 10 weeks, these, all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, um, and self-control are all things that are happening within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our job is to then participate. It, when we say we don't earn our salvation, that doesn't mean that we don't have put any effort into it. That's not what that means. We can participate with with the Holy Spirit. We can listen and be obedient. We can pray uh, for him to work in our lives. And so how do we participate in this war of the the flesh and the spirit within us? How do we have self-control? How do we do that? One, we ask for the spirit's help in identifying our idols. Help us, ask the living spirit to open our eyes to our true motivations, to our actual goals. What is your functional savior? This thing will save me, fulfill me, bring security, happiness, joy. What, what, what do you must have? If I only had this, things would be better. What is your biggest fear? And I'll show you your idol. Because if you lose this or you can't get this, or this comes, then there's an ultimatum with God, because if this happens, if something happens to my spouse, to my children, if I don't get this job, if I don't, we don't have the money that we need, if whatever, then God, I'm going to doubt your goodness. If there's an ultimatum, then you've got an idol set up next to God, and you're weighing them back and forth as to which one is worthy. What's your biggest fear? And I'll show you your idol. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things in us. What do you demand of God for you to continue to believe in Him? And look, we can make good things idols. Okay, everything is not like a snarling beast, right? Um, That that your children can become idols. Uh, That doesn't preclude them being uh, uh, snarling beasts. But let's just pretend um, for our for our message here that they're not. um, That uh, uh, we can make children our idols. What happens is when we take something that is good and lovely and uh, and move it above God. It's just misplaced affections. because if you, try to make, if you try to make your children your Savior, if you try to relive the mistakes that you've made in your life and the sin in your life by protecting them and making sure that they succeed, you are going to drive them away, because they can't be Jesus for you, and you can't be the Holy Spirit for them your spouse can't be your business partners your success none of these things can be Jesus for you and if you're looking constantly for the affection of others and for the attention of others and for if you are if you're in this place of something has to fill me the hole is Jesus he's the one who can fill it where are your idols and then we need to ask for the spirit's help in tearing down those idols pray something like this lord jesus Every part of my flesh thinks I need this thing. Whatever this thing is, sex, power, money, control, vengeance, adoration of others, prestige, achievement, partner status in your firm, teacher of the year, best dressed in the yearbook, whatever it is that is your thing that you think that you have to have. Every part of my flesh thinks I need this thing, but teach me what I really need is you. Help me find my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in you. Help me crucify the desires of the flesh and live by your spirit. Take away from me this desire and let my heart be devoted to you. Pray, Pray that your heart will be devoted to him. Yes, you can pray. Help me stop this, but not just behavior management. Change my heart so that I don't want to do this anymore but that I long for you and your goodness and what you have said is right. And then live intentionally. Tim Keller again says it this way, that self-control is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to be impulsive or uncontrolled or lazy. That whatever desire our flesh happens to conjure up, that we just act upon it at that moment. But instead, let's live intentionally. We want our children to grow out of impulsiveness right? We, we, our children are naturally at a place where whatever emotion they are feeling at that moment, they just give it, right? Uh, And that we're trying to teach them that there's an appropriate way to go about those things, and that you're actually not ruled by your emotions or your desires, but that you can master them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to, we're trying to teach them that. Well, we need to teach that same thing to ourselves, it's what God is calling us to, to maturity. Mature people take responsibility for their own actions. They take responsibility for their own emotional state. They don't let their emotional state rule them or blame their emotional state on others. Maturity is saying, I got to own these things and own the fact that I can't fix them and that I'm in, I am in absolute need of a Savior. That's, that's maturity. And, and there's an intentionality in living maturely so that we live in light of the truth of the gospel, not how we currently feel about it. We live in grace, and we give grace. And finally, I would say this. Participate with the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in situations where you can concentrate on the Spirit. Prayer, Scripture, community. Pour your heart out in worship. Give adoration to God. Sing to Him. Tell Him how much you love Him. Self-control is the ultimate result of the other fruits because we have gleefully and fully given ourselves over to Christ. And when we lose our life to him, we actually find it. The true self-control is actually yielding control. And in yielding control, we find the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Freedom from the shame of the law, freedom to live in righteousness with Christ. Freedom from fear of, the, of death and the tomb. Freedom that doesn't have to snatch and grab and hurt, but is free to have love and joy. And peace and patience and kindness, and goodness faithful, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, it's been a joy to work through these fruits of the Spirit with you, and may the Spirit who is living within us continue to bear its fruit in our lives as the church so that others may see the difference and long for the one who has saved us and transformed us. Pray with me. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, wrestle our affections towards you. Stir our affection towards you. Let us change the desires of our hearts in ways that we we can't. And, And set us free. Lord, for freedom you have set us free. Set us free from the bondage of our addictions and our idols. Set us free from our shame and our anger and our lust and our, um, and our grasping for power and control. And let us believe that you, our Creator, our Father, our source of life itself, is able and willing to give the salvation that our hearts are desiring. Let us trust you, Lord. Let us repent and confess our sins. Let us let us return joyfully to you and yield control to you and to your Holy Spirit. That you may bear this fruit within us. And so that this isn't about us white knuckling our faith. Lord, or we are holding on too tight and trying to and trying to earn you even by doing good things and by by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. Help us. To take a breath and remember grace. There is no condemnation for us now. We haven't replaced the old law with the new list of the fruits of the Spirit grace, mercy, compassion. And when we so know your love towards us, let us freely give our hearts and love to you. All through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.